this whole topic, dangers of grumbling, let me begin by saying, you know, as many of you know, I kind of grew up in the Seattle area where there were stores like Nordstrom and REI and Eddie Bauer and Costco and and I also grew up in Japanese among Japanese stores where customer service and handling complaints is just part of the culture and training. And the customer is king. And you do whatever it takes to satisfy their demands. Within reason, of course. And, and, but, you know, one of the most difficult challenges um, for anyone who has responsibility, and I'm talking about people who are in leadership, that means you parents, your teachers, pastors, elders, principals, coaches, administrators, supervisors, owners of business, managers. I think I'm covering quite a few, if not all of you, uh, that one of the most difficult things to handle are, are complaints. And you just cannot necessarily respond like the local stores. And uh, as I just mentioned, the person complaining is not king. And it is not necessarily your role to, to satisfy their demands. You know, we as a people, as a nation, we like to complain. It's our national pastime. <laughs> Perhaps it's really a, a world pastime because I've traveled to India, I've traveled to Japan and other parts of the world. And uh, in Japanese, we say the word monku. Uh, that means to complain. And it's just part of the fabric uh, we like to complain about the weather, complain about our sports team. Uh, for some of you who are in, in college dorms, you complain about the dorm food. Uh, um, we love to complain about food. And uh, we complain about our employer, our boss, um, our fellow employee, our workplace, our leaders, our economy, etc. The list, really, the list goes on. And it's amazing because it crosses all generations. It crosses all cultures, young and old. And uh, even on Hallmark days like today, people can complain, nobody loves me. I didn't get flowers. I didn't get card. We just find reasons to complain. We like to complain. Uh, and, And complaining often starts really small. It's like playing with matches. As a kid, I was, I was intrigued with fire. And I, I started s- stealing matches um, in the hotel that I grew up from the front desk there. And um, I would light anything I could find, you know. Well, <laughs> this is a confession here. One, one day, I lit some newspapers and, and I couldn't control it. You know, you can imagine. And, and then I thought, well, I'll just throw it in the dumpster. And I'll just throw a bunch of rocks and sand and it'll all go away. And, and I just returned upstairs to the six-story hotel that we grew up in. And, and many minutes later, there were sirens blaring as the dumpster was on fire. And it affected the restaurant where the dumpster was located. And fortunately, the fire was put out by the Seattle Fire Department. And uh, before the restaurant or the hotel, with our, my, our residence, was, was burned down. And, and that, that illustration of foolish child play has even more deadly and eternal consequences when we look at the scriptures. You know, the book of James describes it this way, and it's found in James chapter 3, verse 5. It says, So also the tongue is a small part of the body, 
And yet it boasts of great things. See how great a forest is set aflame by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, the very world of iniquity. The tongue is set among our members as that which defiles the entire body and sets on fire the course of our life and is set on fire by hell. For every species of beasts and birds, of reptiles and creatures of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by the human race. But no one, no one can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil and full of deadly poison. You know, earlier, Ivan, my brother Ivan read 1 Corinthians 10 verses 1 through 13. And the Apostle Paul there writing to the church in Corinth about the spiritual dangers of sin and temptation. It's manifested in in specific ways. And he was already addressing many problems in the church throughout the first nine chapters, including immorality and marriage, divisions, and even lawsuits within the church. And Paul recognizes that just because you've had many spiritual blessings and privileges, it doesn't mean that you can just relax and coast through the Christian life. It's a battle. It's a war. And it is one in which we must be vigilant to fight in order to keep the faith. Paul just wrote the verse prior to that uh, in chapter 9, verse 27. He's mindful of the problem. And he says, you know, I discipline, I discipline my own body and keep it under control. Lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. But now he refers, Paul makes the transition here. He now refers back in history and he recalls the Israelites who were the recipients and witnesses of God's intervention in their lives. And Paul summarizes the people of Israel to illustrate a very powerful and important lesson. The Israelites, okay, they were they were all blessed. According to verses one through four, turn there to first Corinthians 10. It says there in verse 1, For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud, and all passed through the sea, and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and all ate the same spiritual food, and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them. That rock was Christ. Basically, you know, the Israelites, they were released from the bondage of slavery. They were under captivity, right? They were, they were, and yet now they were released and they were protected from the Egyptian army that was now chasing them down. And God provides a leader in Moses and they escape miraculously through the Red Sea. And then God provides for them daily, leads them by cloud by fire. And then, you know, they were promised a future land for themselves. Similarly, the church in Corinth was also blessed by God. It's told in Acts 18, Paul reaching there and, and a church was born as a result. And what you see in the church in Corinth is that they were blessed immensely and they were growing. They had wonderful teachers there. We too have been blessed. We have received Blessings after blessings. As we see, look back and look at our own lives, we see God's hand personally. We live in unprecedented.
unprecedented times of enjoying material and spiritual blessings and prosperity. We have so much access to just resources and opportunity. We just are incredibly blessed. But the next verses Paul writes here are quite sobering and telling. Because it says in verse 5, Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased. For they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now these things took place Why? As examples for us that we might not desire evil as they did. So you may be asking, so what evil did the people of Israel desire? And Paul lists four areas there. He lists number one in verse seven there, idolatry. Do not be idolaters as some of them were, as it is written. The people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Basically, they worshiped cheap substitutes. They worship not the God who led them out, but they try to find cheap substitutes and they worship idols. Then it goes on to the next topic, sexual immorality. You find there in verse eight, we must not what indulge in uh, sexual immorality as some of them did. And twenty three thousand. Wow. Fell in a single day. The third he puts Paul writes there. Testing God by presumption. Verse 9. We must not put Christ to the test. As some of them did and were destroyed by serpents. Then he lists grumbling. Grumbling? Yes. It says there in verse 10. Nor grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. Basically the death angel took their lives. What do you say? Grumbling? Really? Why is that a big deal? You may be saying, you know, I can understand idolatry. I can understand sexual immorality. And I can even understand maybe testing or presuming upon God. But how in the world do you get grumbling in here? You see, in God's eyes, it's serious enough. And personally, I've been concerned for us as a nation for, for us as the people of God, even for us here in the church, and for me, I confess, even me personally, that I'm guilty and we are guilty of this grievous sin because it is so subtle. It's so subversive. And it's beneath the surface. Yet as a culture, We indulge ourselves in this activity. It just easily comes. And we don't even think of it as that big sin in comparison to those first three areas. James tells us in James 3 verse 2 that, For we all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a what? He is a perfect man, able to bridle the whole body as well. Well, I know I stumble a lot, and I'm not a perfect man, and neither are you. And so, this morning, this morning I want to warn the dangers of grumbling in order to combat this enemy uh, to our soul and to the body of Christ. So you may be asking, well, what, what is grumbling? 
Grumbling literally means to murmur, to speak in a low, muted voice, to complain or express displeasure in a secret voice or a whisper, to express resentment about the state of affairs or an event. You know, grumbling is basically verbally expressing our dissatisfaction, complaining about what God is doing, complaining about what God has given me or given you or not given you or where he has placed you or not placed you. You know, throughout the book of Exodus and Numbers, Scripture records that the people grumbled repeatedly. Remember, God delivered. We read that account. And, you know, you read the Old Testament, you read the miraculous events that took place, and just God delivering the people. You find there in Exodus 16.2, it says, just for an example, And the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, Would that we had died in the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full. For you brought us out into the wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. In other words, I'm hungry and I don't have and you're just letting me here to die. After what all God has done. And we can look at it and kind of mock at that and go, those idiots. But we're no different. As a matter of fact, it says there in Exodus verse 17, uh, chapter 17, verse 3, that, okay, God fills them up with food. But now they're thirsty. It says that, but the people thirsted there for water. And the people grumbled against Moses and said, Why did you bring us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? In other words, again, the grumbling just foams up and it just is articulated in mass. It starts with a few, I'm sure, and then it just spreads and the people grumbled. I think of the powerful example of of Korah. Uh, It's recorded in Numbers 16. Read it Uh, This afternoon, just read Numbers 16. And it's a vivid illustration of grumbling of Moses' leadership. Korah doesn't like what he's been given. And he questions the leadership and, and, and brings others along. And they grumble. And you read a very, very sobering and sad account of what take, takes place. Grumbling is a lack of of self-control. Ronnie Martin, the author who authored this book called Stop Your Complaining, states it well when he writes, quote, grumbling is lack of self-control, choosing not to constrain our words because we were deceived to believe that we are justified in voicing them. He also writes, quote, Complaining is essentially our insistent refusal to be thankful for what we have and to show proper gratitude by the fruit of our action. Grumbling is a lack of gratitude. And grumbling, basically grumbling does not produce thankfulness. And we must remember that the lack of thanksgiving to God means that we have forgotten, we have forgotten about God's goodness 
We forget about his, his grace, his mercy upon us, his forbearance upon us. So when we grumble, all we are recalling is what we don't have and what we believe we deserve. So basically, grumbling is forgetfulness. It's forgetting God of, of who he is and what he has done and what he is doing. And this grumbling is verbalizing our thoughts that originate from our hearts. It's a product. It's really a product of elevating our views of ourselves as to believe that we deserve more or we deserve better than what we're getting. And I know I'm guilty of that. And I'm sure all of you are guilty as well. And, and Paul describes it well in Romans 1. Uh, you know this passage, Romans 1.21. It says, For although they knew God, they knew God. They did not honor Him as God or give thanks to, them, to Him. But they became futile in their thinking. And their foolish hearts were darkened. That is what grumbling begins to do. One's heart becomes darkened. You, you, basically what you're doing is you crowd out the light of blessing. And you become what? Foolish within. James tells us again in James chapter 1. That each person, this is in verse 14. Each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. And then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every, every good gift and every perfect gift is from where? Is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Perhaps you're asking, why is grumbling so common? Grumbling is not only what we do, but it it defines who we really are. We're basically ungrateful, unthankful, unmerciful, unkind, and unforgiving. And it's so common in our conversation. Just take the time and listen in conversations. Hopefully not here, but in other places. (laughs) And listen, because it's easy to just jump in and because we do. Again, grumbling is just verbalizing and letting others know that I didn't get what I deserved. And I want them to affirm that belief as well. And then I want others to believe that they too are deserving of whatever they should be deserving. It's a sign of our times. And what's really sad, it's really sad that among those who call themselves Christians... The Apostle Paul warns there near the end of his life. He says there in 2 Timothy 3, he says, listen carefully, but understand this, that in the last days there will, be time, there will, there will come times of difficulty for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, 
without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. And this is so sad. It's having the form of having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. And what I just read there really represents how grumbling manifests itself. And we can grumble in on so many issues and so many people as well. And I remember many years ago, Pastor Jerry, who was the former teaching pastor here many years ago, he used to say about grumbling and about criticism of others, he would say, blowing out someone else's candle does not make yours shine any brighter. And I appreciate that words of wisdom that, you know, it's easy to criticize and, and just knock someone else down, but it doesn't make you shine any brighter as a result. So why is grumbling so dangerous? Why is it so dangerous? Well, allow me to list several reasons. It's dangerous because it is never isolated and it tempts others to sin. You know, it seeks others company to almost validate one's belief. Again, as I read earlier in Exodus 16 too, that the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. In other words, really misery loves what company, you know, that it's dangerous because it expresses discontentment against God. What do I mean by that? Basically, it, it hinders your communion with God. It diminishes your joy of your salvation. It, it, it really casts doubt of God's goodness. For example, there in Numbers 14, 27, it says, How long shall this wicked congregation grumble against me? I have heard the grumblings of the people of Israel, which they grumble against me. Exodus 16, 8 says, Moses said, when the Lord gives you in the evening meat to eat and in the morning bread to the full, because the Lord has heard your grumbling that you grumble against him. What are we? Your grumbling is not against us, but against the Lord. See, it's expressing discontentment against God. Grumbling is dangerous because it's so addicting. It's so addicting. We, we feed upon each other's complaints. It certainly feeds the entertainment in the industry, in much of the music and comedy routines. We just love to gripe. We like to complain and express our angst or anger with, with the things we dislike about God, about his creation, about his people, about authorities he sets up, his provision. Next time, consider what fuels the passion of much political rhetoric. Empty promises of hope. Based on what? Based on complaints. I'm not going to go there, but I'm just saying that. Just think about uh, this whole topic of grumbling. We just love to do it. And it's like I said, it's so addicting. It's dangerous because no one is immune. No one is immune from this temptation. How do I know that? Because verse 11 there, back to 1 Corinthians 10, it says, Now these things happen to them as an example, but They were written for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. Therefore, therefore, let anyone who thinks he stands 
Take heed lest he fall. You know, it's easy to criticize the Israelites, but we too fall. It's easy to look back and go, what were they doing? And uh, even the Corinthian church, how can they? But we are no different. And Paul's trying to place the emphasis there. Listen, heed, look at this. Because you too are tempted this way. It's common to man. It's dangerous. Grumbling is dangerous because, and this you need to hear, because God hates it. Proverbs 6.19 says, seven things are an abomination to God. And you know, you read that list. But the last one he says, and the one who spreads strife among brothers. Grumbling is very dangerous because one comes under judgment by God. How do I know that? Because James tells us, and he tells the, the people of God, do not grumble. James chapter 5, verse 9. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. Whew, you just kind of feel kind of like weighted down a bit. But where's the source? And we kind of need to, we need to find where's the source of this grumbling? Well, Jesus' words are so, so true. Jesus tells us in Matthew, there it's recorded there in Matthew 12, verse 34. How can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good person out of the good treasure brings forth good. And the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words, you will be justified. And by your words, you will be condemned. It's recorded there in Mark. Jesus saying in, in, in Mark seven twenty one that for from within... It's from within, out of the heart of man, comes evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and they, what? They defile a person. Psalm 106 provides a really a detailed overview of the Israelites' rebellion and complaint against God. In verse 24 and 25, the psalmist puts it really well there. It says, they, the Israelites, they, they despise the pleasant land, having no faith in his promise. They grumbled or murmured again in their tents. Okay, it's murmuring. You start there. And and they did not obey the voice of the Lord. As I said earlier, grumbling is a form of complaining. And the difference, perhaps, you know, grumbling and complaining is that grumbling refers to the inner feelings and thoughts. And it starts off low. And then complaining refers to just the out, actual outward expression in word or deed. And both, as I said, grumbling and complaining are really direct, uh, directly related to rebellion. Um, and because... You're stating that you just do not accept what God has brought before you at this time. It means that you have no faith in the God who knows what he is doing and what is best for you and for all. So when it is done in the church, 
Listen carefully. When it's done in the church, grumbling harms the body of Christ because it creates division and discord that often divides people within the fellowship. You know, grumbling is so insidious because we often believe that the lesser good, that means our, our want is greater than the greater good, God himself. And today, why are we without excuse? Because God, I tell you, and I just want you to stop and ponder this, is that God has provided so much to us, the privileges and the means. He's given us a history lesson to look back and learn from that. He's given us his word to guide us. He's given us his spirit to intercede for us. He's given his church to seek fellowship. We, the people here at Foothill Bible Church, we are incredibly, incredibly blessed. We have access to his word in our own language. We learned from promise last month when the Tongwa people, they hearing the word of God in their own language for the very first time. Well, we've had it for so long, and yet we quickly forget. Well, perhaps you're asking, why does God hate grumbling? I ask that all the time. Why? Grumbling and complaining is sin, and it's serious enough to send God's Son, Jesus Christ, to die a costly death for all these sins. Do you believe that? That even your grumbling, it costs his life in exchange for yours. Numbers fourteen eleven says, The Lord said to Moses, How long will this people despise me? And how long will they not believe in me in spite of all the signs that I have done among them? And that could be said of us today. How long will we despise him? I, I, as I said, grumbling Why does God hate grumbling? Grumbling promotes the division of the very body that Christ came to redeem, both personally and corporately. And so to grumble is to say that what God has created and redeemed is not good enough. It's not good enough for me. And that's why James speaks forth about the dangers of our tongue when he states that with it, this is found in James 3, 9, and so powerful though. It says, with it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Well, how do we, now you're asking, how do you combat this? How do you combat this grumbling? And I'm glad you asked that. I begin, began by stating that grumbling is similar to starting a fire. See how great a forest is set aflame by such a small fire. Pastor John Piper, who writes a wonderful book called Future Grace, he, he says, quote, Let us make war, not with other people, but with our unbelief. It's the root of anxiety, which in turn is the root of of so many of our sins. We need to fight this. This issue of unbelief. John Owen. Many of you know his name. John Owen. Who is a Puritan pastor. Who wrote a classic book called Sin and Temptation. He summarizes it very well. About what we need to do. How we deal with sin. You must be killing sin. Before it kills you. 
So I want to give, how do we combat grumbling? I want to give five ways to resist this temptation. Number one, it's really plain right there in verse 13 of chapter 10 of 1 Corinthians. Number one is recall who God is. Paul writes there in verse 13, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God, God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. You know, we need to recall that God is faithful. That speaks of his perfect will. He is in control. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. That speaks of his protection. He will also provide a way of escape. And that speaks of his provision. All of this, all of this speaks of his His providential care. That means his overall care for his people. And the people of Israel, they were tested and they failed. But, you know, besides the Apostle Paul, the Apostle Peter and and James both understand this whole issue of the temptation to grumble and the temptation of unbelief and being tested by God. You see, Peter was reminding the early Christians, when the government decided to, to just persecute the, the Christians and disband the church, Peter had to remind the believers there. And he writes there in 1 Peter chapter 2 and tells us that, you know, it's a gracious thing when mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called. In other words, God has orchestrated this. Because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you may follow in his steps. He committed no sin. And he's talking about referring to Christ again. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten. But this is critical. But continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. Peter still continues on in chapter 4 and he says in verse 19 that, Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. You see, things may turn bad. Things don't go the way you want. And you feel like you are suffering under God. And it may be very well so. It certainly doesn't look very promising in many ways of our, of our culture, of our land. But God is in control here. And we need to be reminded. Peter was reminding the believers, even when persecution was taking place and they were fleeing. You can still count on him that he is faithful. James had to remind also the believers as well. He says in James 1 that blessed is the man who remains, what? Steadfast under trial. 
For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. And James makes reference to the life of Job later in chapter 5. And, and I bring that to, to your attention because suffering and things that just don't go the way you feel like you deserve. You feel like you want to com- complain and grumble against what God has provided. And I don't like this. I don't understand. And I get it. <laughs> I do. And we all do. But we have to remind ourselves that God is faithful. And these are times of testing. You may be tested even now. I don't know each of your life circumstances. But I do know that we are all tempted to doubt, to unbelief. And so James reminds, even there in James chapter 5, that as an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain, what? Steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job. And you have seen the purpose of the Lord. How the Lord is compassionate and merciful. He's in control here. So I said, how do you combat or resist the temptation to grumble? I said, recall who God is. He is faithful. Number two, request. Request God's help through prayer. Psalm 62 is a wonderful psalm that really expresses what we ought to be doing when we are greatly tempted to grumble. It's summarized in verse 8. It says, trust in him at all times. O people, pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. You know, when you cry out to God, when you cry out to God in expressing your dependence upon him, You're crying out to ask him to give you strength to endure, to grant you the faith to believe, to provide hope that does not disappoint, to find shelter in the times of storm. John Owen reminds us that if we do not abide in prayer, we will abide in temptation. In other words, if we don't find ourselves dependent upon the God who is faithful, we will abide in temptation. We will do the very things that the people of Israel did. So, Lord, I believe. Just cry. Lord, I believe, but help me in my unbelief. Number three, renew your mind. Renew your mind by rehearsing the gospel. Remember where you came from. Because we often forget. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer what? I who live, but Christ who lives in me. That's the promise that God has declared in Galatians 2.20. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by what? I live by faith in the Son of God, who what? Who loved me and gave himself what? Up for me. He gave himself for you and for me. And God is enough because he loved me and gave himself. So, because I understand that I deserve hell. And God's wrath. But he showed what? He showed mercy. He showed mercy to you and and to me. Number four. 
I've already said recalling who God is. Request God's help. Renew your mind. Fourth, revere Christ by serving one another in the local church. You know, it is God who is drawing people to himself and building up his bride, the church. Paul writing to the church in Ephesus reminds the believers there that in Ephesians 5, Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Look carefully, he later writes, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time. Why? Because the days are evil. So how do you do this? He, he closes there uh, later on in verse 21, submitting to one another out of reverence, out of reverence for Christ. So you revere Christ by serving one another in the local church there. And, you know, like I said, the temptation, really, the temptation of grumble is so very real for all of us. And we as sinners, are, we're just prone to believe that God is not enough or his loving kindness is not good enough. And that's why we at Foothill Bible Church, we encourage you to come to assemble together on Sunday mornings. Why? For the purpose of exalting Christ and enjoying him and to enjoy his people who's called them out of darkness into his marvelous light. We encourage you to participate in the small group meetings. Why? Because we need those reminders. We need to bear one another's burdens. We need to pray for one another. We encourage you to go to the training hour. Why? So that you can be built up in the knowledge of Christ. We encourage you in the fellowships. Because why? Because we just forget. We often forget. And we just Falsely believe the many temptations and lies that come our way constantly. So you may be asking, well, what's the difference between grumbling and a legitimate complaint? And because some of you I know are thinking that. Um, well, may I just encourage you, number one, is just go to the person directly and ask for clarification. Sometimes that I, I appreciate many of you are not afraid to talk to one of the elders. Talk to me. Talk to um, one of the elders or deacons and, and, versus, and, and ask a direct question, and hopefully we can give you a direct answer, versus ascribing or assuming motives. It's so easy. You know, you just question things and you don't understand. Why, why did they do that? Or what, what's going on? Go to the person directly. Go to me directly. Similarly, not, on, not only inquire, but perhaps appeal. Maybe you don't understand an appeal. Maybe the person, your boss or your uh, supervisor, you don't understand. Maybe you need to just appeal. Appeal and inquire. And then trust in God's sovereign purposes. I, I say that because sometimes it, it, it does not make sense. You just don't. You, you just see what's going on and you go, I don't get my boss. I don't get, um, you know, children sometimes are tempted that way. I don't get dad and mom. Is that true? I'm assuming that. But they are given there as your authority. And I would say just to appeal. And, um, and as, as par- parents, we often just say, just trust me. And then practice the first four steps that I just gave you earlier. It is, is again, recalling who God is requesting God's help, renewing your mind, revering Christ. 
I'm just giving, it sounds simplistic, I understand. But we need to finally, how do you combat grumbling? You, we need to remind ourselves of our witness before this watching world. And Paul reminds the, uh, the Philippians in Philippians 2, do all things without grumbling or disputing so that you will prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent children of God above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you appear as lights to this world. You know, our life, our life reflects Christ or denies him by our witness. And so when you re- need to remind yourself that we are his witness. Again, we all stumble. It's so true. We all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able to bridle the whole body as well. And the reality is, we are not perfect. And we need to cry out to the one who is perfect. Not only the perfect man by his example, but the perfect substitute who exchanged his life for mine and for yours. And that is why we come here to worship and adore the Savior, Jesus Christ. He's able to help us from our grumbling, from our complaining, from our whining. Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. May God help us. May God help us to be a grateful people who resists, who resists the temptation to grumble. Let me close in a word of prayer. Mighty God, our gracious Heavenly Father, we confess that we are people who are prone to wander, prone to leave the God we love. We confess that one minute we are praising you in this room, and we can quickly step out the door and quickly forget and and grumble and complain about so many things. Oh, Father, we we ask that you'd help us in our unbelief. Help us to temper our tongue. Help us to kill the sin before it kills us. Oh, Father, help us not to be guilty of being grumblers too, that causes division and discord among the body. Oh, Father, help us to be a people who are not characterized as people who grumble when we have been given so much, not only physically, not only relationally, not only mentally, academically. You have given us so much spiritually, For all eternity. And so, Father, forgive us when we grumble. And we ask that you would change us. Change us from the inside out. So that we may be a people who praise you because you are worthy of praise all the time. In everything that we would give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus. We ask this in his name. Amen.